Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me today. This is the Spicy Pecan Podcast. Have you ever had a dream that that you um you had you 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 could you do you you want you you could do so you you do you could. guys welcome back thank you for joining me on another episode of the spicy pecan podcast if you have not already make sure that you subscribe now and like this video before even seeing it just like it now appreciate you welcome back everybody we have some cool things in current events some odd stories but some uh some stories i'm sure you've already heard i got some notes going on i hope everybody's doing good um the snowstorm that hit the east coast was absolutely nuts in New Jersey, we got probably, I'm going to guess, uh, I can't remember what the final total was, but I think maybe like six, seven inches. Um, it was pretty thick out there. I know parts of PA got over 30 inches. So uh, bless all of you guys. Um, listen, something's happening in the news. If you have children um, in school or kids who are set to go to school, um, this story might actually be of interest to you. Ooh, my lips is dry. I have to keep a, a chapstick on deck. I stay looking like I'm doing crack. All right, so fair formula funding. Have you heard of it? So Pennsylvania is actually, uh, Governor Wolf has agreed to fair for formula funding. Basically, um, it's a little more complex than I'm about to explain it, but just so that you kind of understand the gist of it, it basically uh, provides equity in schools. So think about it like this. A school in the suburbs with, you know, 20 kids per class, 15 kids per class are not going to need as many resources as a school in the inner city that maybe has 40 kids per class or 35 kids per class, right? Make sense? There are so many states throughout the United States who have not been applying just a decent, equitable plan. And the craziest part about it is you have these schools in the upper class districts because of the COVID money that's being given out. You have schools in these upper middle class districts that are actually fighting for their stake of the money, not because they need it, not because they need it at all, but because to them, it feels like a loss because they won't get anything or they won't get as much. That to me is just such greed when at the end of the day, we're talking about kids getting education. So this COVID money is supposed to be you know, providing schools with proper ventilation and um, PPE for teachers and students, you know, the, the parameters that we need that are set forth by the CDC um, to say, hey, it's safe here. Well, if your school has a great ventilation system already or something that is up to code and there's plenty of classroom size where kids can spread out because you don't have as many in your class, does it make sense that you get as much as a school that is desperately in need and probably hasn't had the proper repairs years past before COVID? It's, it's insane to me. 
New Jersey is way, way behind with all of this. Um, Chris Christie, who I could not stand, <laughs> um, he definitely, uh, the education system was something that he absolutely attacked during his, uh, you know, his time with us in New Jersey as governor. Um, but keep your eyes peeled for that because it actually, this is a really, really, really important topic. Um, if, you know, getting your kid back to school in a safe way is important to you, you know, make sure that you understand how your specific school, the school that your children go to are going to be properly funded. And if you find out that the state that you're in is not uh, creating equity with the COVID relief money, that might be an initiative you want to get behind um, because it directly impacts you. This is very real shit. So I definitely wanted to just put that out in front of everyone. This is an issue that I've been working on um, with a campaign at work. So I've been kind of getting the behind the scenes of how everything's working out. It looks like, well, Governor Murphy in Pennsylvania is saying, hey, this is something that we need to do. The only problem is it has to be voted on by the legislators. And from what we're seeing and hearing, it doesn't look like it's something that will be passed. I mean, we hope that it would be, but it doesn't look like it, um, you know, it's going to go through. So it'll be very interesting. The fight continues. Uh, listen, did you guys hear about this Jersey guy that got um, a face and hand transplant? This was a story that popped out to me. I was like, wait, what? Y'all can really, this is like a real life face-off. So this is what I found out about this. Joe DiMatteo, a New Jersey resident, um, 22 years old. He actually got into an accident while at work, working for a drug company, doing some type of testing or something like that. Um, I guess they were, you know what? I'm not even going to guess. That's what they said happened to him. It was, you know, a tragic accident at work. Um, he was burned really badly on his face, um, some parts of his body and his hands. So this is the third time that this procedure has been done. The first time the person died like a month later, and that was in Paris, a Paris resident. The second person, do you remember that lady that was mauled by a chimpanzee? Like, I, I mean, I think it was probably over 10 years ago. But um, that was a huge story that was all across, you know, it was everywhere. She was the second person to receive a face and hand transplant. Two days after her procedure, the hand transplant actually failed. So they had to do, um, you know, artificials. But um, he is the third recipient of this, uh, of this, you know, procedure. And so far, so good. It looks like it actually went through and, you know, he's doing well. The surgery took place in August. And I'm just scratching my head like, y'all can do this. Y'all can literally replace someone's face. But you can't figure out a way for when I switch that mustard container for that liquid to come out first. Like, how, how do people come up with these inventions I have a laundry list of very simple things that I feel like should definitely be resolved by now. Like, for example, the common cold hasn't even been cured, but we can transplant a face. Like, our priorities are crazy. But 
very, very interesting. Um, you know, that kind of stuck out to me. So I kind of wanted to, you know, just see what you guys thought about that. Um, in uh, world news, the World Health Organization, who is in Wuhan, China, doing an investigation on the origin of the COVID vaccine or the COVID, uh, COVID-19. This is crazy. So there have been theories, conspiracy theories and things like that, that the COVID may have been manufactured or created by accident. Um, it looks, well, we can't say it looks like, but what they're hinting at is it looks like they, uh, in Wuhan, they have very advanced technologies in their different labs. They've been studying SARS and, you know, different, um, pandemics, but SARS specifically. So what, who believes is there could have potentially been a creation of the COVID, of COVID-19 because of their archives of the bats, um, their investigations or their um, testing on bats for SARS. SARS was like 2003. So apparently these people have an archive of bats that they were studying and things like that. I don't know if somebody was mishandling the, um, you know, the, the evidence or the pieces, but that's kind of how they think it, um, originated, not the wet markets like we originally thought, but the investigation has just begun. Uh, people, analysts are saying it, it could take several years to have a definitive answer on exactly what happened to create COVID-19 or, you know, how the occurrence occurred. Um, so that will be very, very interesting. Also, considering the fact that, you know, um, when we look at bioterrorism and things like that, if Wuhan, China is creating uh, pandemics, creating viruses, that, you know, that obviously is would be a huge development, probably lead to some type of war or something, who knows. But um, keep your eyes peeled for this story. It's very, very interesting. Um, so I kind of, you know, luckily we haven't really had to talk about Trump too much, but the next story that I want to get into is, you know, kind of pose a question to you guys. What do you think the, the, um, like, what do you think the future of the Republican party will be? Uh, you know, if you're watching the news, obviously everyone's talking about the impeachment and, you know, Trump and him not being able to run again and freedom of speech and all of this stuff. But you basically have this party that is split. A huge portion of the constituency believes in conspiracy theories, believes in some really, really crazy things. Um, the Republican Party is, I mean, really to me, it always has been. But really, really, they cannot deny the, the white supremacy that runs rampant through that party. The hatred that runs rampant through that party. Um, just the conspiracy theories that run rampant through that party. 
how do they how do they figure out like how do they move forward with all of these things it's really interesting to see so right now we have politicians um who you have a few who have stood up like Liz Cheney who's now being attacked by her own party but you have a few people who have stood up and said all right enough is enough yeah we rode the Trump wave because we knew it would get us votes you know he was just on fire and we just we had to ride the wave because winning is everything to us, you know? Um, but now they have an opportunity to, you know, stake their claim and say, listen, we're moving forward with this impeachment trial. This is not representative of what our party is. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's going to be the way that they go. It looks like they are going to continue to ride this wave of conspiracy theories and all kinds of nonsense. I mean, the Marjorie Green, I know you've heard her name. She's been in the news every single day on the hour. Um, literally saying things like uh, mass shootings, class uh, school shootings weren't real. Like Sandy Hook weren't real and it was staged and things like that. How can the Republican Party stand behind someone like that and believe that they'll have a future? Younger generations are not as indoctrinated as the older folks. You know, Republican Party is old. It's a lot of old people. It really is. Um, how do they grow? You know, a lot of young people are fighting against the QAnons and, um, you know, like things like that Marjorie Taylor Greene are saying. So that's just interesting to me to see, you know, how they're going to rock moving forward. I've never been a fan of that particular party. I'm not the biggest fan of the Democratic Party. I feel like I don't understand. I understand why an impeachment needs to happen, but I don't understand why a criminal case isn't being brought forth. You know, like, why can't if it's, you know, why go through all the rigmarole when he should really be arrested? Like he should really be serving time. Any of us who did something similar would have. I mean, you know, it's just uh, very interesting. We'll move on. So have you guys been paying attention to the trials that are going on with the uh, terrorists that attack the Capitol? This is hilarious. On one side, you have people as their defense blaming Trump for the reason why they did, you know, why they uh, committed such crimes. And then on the other side, you have Republicans who are defending Trump saying that it was freedom of speech. And this is the thing about our law system. It's like you can win in a criminal case, but then you lose civilly. You can win in this, but then you lose here. And I get every court has its own specific responsibility but it just seems like there's no rhyme or reason. It seems like there's no common sense to the way that we're going about certain things. Why are there no criminal charges? It was a crime, right? It's enough of a crime that would have people voting on whether he would be impeached or not. So why isn't it in a, in a criminal courtroom? 
That's my question. And that's what I would honestly like to see. Luckily, it seems like the private sector is getting it right. As we know, Dominion is suing Rudy Giuliani for like $3 billion. Again, I don't know why more people are not on that. Um, I didn't do a whole bunch of research. So there may be other defendants in that case. Um, But Rudy Giuliani is the one that, you know, they're mostly talking about. So it kind of pushes me to believe that he may be the only person on there. But don't quote me on that. But it's interesting how the private sector gets it. But our public sector is almost being, I don't want to use the word vindictive in a way, because yes, if someone, if one of my coworkers, because that's really what Trump was to these people, if one of my coworkers incited a riot at our job, I would want them to be arrested. I would want them to be fired. I would want to make sure that their pension is gone, their everything, everything. You ain't getting health care. You're not getting any of the things, whatever was in your contract. We're not honoring that because you didn't honor, you know, our basic ethics code to not try to kill us. But um, yeah, so enough of uh, enough of the, you know, the news and all of that. I wanted to get into the topic today. Now, this is something that I'm going to start talking about a lot more. Generational trauma. This is so, so fascinating to me because the more you learn about it, the more you can identify things in even your own life that, uh, you know, may be affecting you from generations before. So I'm going to share a video. Um, Well, I'll put it in the, the show notes. Um, Check that video out because she actually goes over uh, this much more in depth and there's an article along with it and everything. But I wanted to just kind of start to talk about this. Any traumatic situation that results in a pattern of traumatic or unhealthy behaviors or beliefs through generations is considered generational trauma. So I'm going to go over the signs to know that you, you may have some of these issues within your family. But before we get into that, let's just paint a, a full picture. So this has been in the news. Clinicians, psychiatrists have been studying this uh, in depth uh, most recently um, because of we're, we're starting to understand a lot better the traumas of slavery, of things like slavery, like the Holocaust, slavery, the traumas of uh, sexual abuse and mental health. How do we become the people that we become? What makes up the ingredients of that? And some of that, a good portion of that is what you're getting from the people who raised you. And what that person that raised you, what they got from the person that raised them. And then it's just a link that just keeps going along. So when we talk about things like slavery, for example, and this kind of blew my mind. I, I, again, I have to do more research about it, but swimming, why is it? We use it as a stereotype. We make jokes about it and things like that, but why is it that Black people, historically and in big numbers, do not swim. 
some people actually tie that back to slavery because swimming could be an escape route, right? So teaching slaves to swim or allowing them to swim or encouraging them to swim could be a huge problem for a, a slave owner that lives on the coast somewhere or a slave owner that is not too far away from a lake or something like that. If anything, you want that lake to be another barrier. You do not want that lake to even glimmer as freedom or anything like that. But that to me is so interesting and it proves this generational curse um, idea because you're talking about something that has withstood the test of time over hundreds of years, right? And we can think about a lot of these things, um, but let's get into some of these signs. So the first is uh, a long lineage of unresolved emotions. So the example that she gave in the video, and again, I do really encourage you to, to watch this video and start to look into this a little more. This is like really, really interesting stuff and it does affect us. Um, it affects all of us, regardless of your color. Somebody raised you and somebody raised them. So a long lineage of unresolved issues. Think about this. If you are a descendant of slavery and your whoever raised you didn't do well with trauma, so they held it in, you know, very, very tough exterior. Everything is about being strong. You then will learn that is the way to be. I don't show my emotions. I don't really talk about things. And if we want to think about how men are particularly raised, this will kind of come into play. It'll make, you know, more sense because we raise our girls differently than we raise our boys, which we're now learning is not the greatest thing in the world because it perpetuates these cycles. But if you have a great grandmother that, um, you know, back in the day, there was no therapy. People didn't talk about um, their personal issues. It was more so about keeping appearances and, you know, you save that for prayer. Well, that great grandmother then raised your, your mom, hypothetical in this situation. And your mom saw that and said, well, this is the way that it is. This is who we are. This is how we are. Um, and then taught you that way. So um, unresolved emotions. That's actually, that's pretty heavy. Two, negative and repeated patterns of beliefs and behaviors. That one's pretty straightforward. So, um, you know, we don't do this particular thing or we don't celebrate this particular thing. And that becomes a family, um, you know, practice. We don't do this. That becomes a family practice. Um, it's all about patterns and beliefs, a, a better, a better idea or a better example, racism. Racism is taught. Racism is something that you learn and then you perpetuate. So you perpetuate it with people in your life and then you teach your children how to perpetuate that. That is a belief system. And that also coincides with behaviors. Um, three, untreated or poorly treated mental health and substance abuse issues. Now, 
this is definitely huge and this is across color lines. Um, I know for me and for many people that I was in AA with, alcoholism did not just pop up in their life for the most part. Um, most of the people I met, dad was an alcoholic or mom, grandmom was an alcoholic or grandpa, aunts, uncles, and people before then. And basically what happens is when you raise a family, you're teaching your kids how to cope with stress. You're teaching them how to cope with life. And if substances is how you accomplish that, they're going to see that and more than likely perpetuate that behavior. So dad comes home every single day and kills a half of a, you know, kills a six pack every single day. That is going to teach you that that is my reward from coming home. That's how I handle my stress. That's what happens after a hard day's work. And you may not even have that dialogue with yourself, but you see it, you learn it, you perpetuate it, and you could even do it mindlessly. And the thing about these generational traumas is that it doesn't always affect every single person. Well, let me put it this way, the way she described it. It may affect them, but it may not outwardly show in the ways that the person teaching did. So let's say I'm an alcoholic. I have five kids. Might not necessarily have raised five alcoholics, but maybe one of them are or maybe two of them are, or maybe one of them is an alcoholic and the other one is addicted to opioids. You see what I mean? So it doesn't always hit every single person, but with these uh, generational curses, if you want to call them, you'll see them kind of scatter. So maybe it's your sister and a cousin, you know, maybe it's your kid and, you know, your sister's son or a sister's kid. So it can kind of, you know, pop in and out of, um, it doesn't have to be every single person. Um, so I know that, you know, uh, clinicians kind of explain that a little better, but, um, you know, that's just kind of my layman's way of explaining it. Uh, four poor parent child relationships. Clearly, um, the way that you were raised is going to be very influential on the way that you live your life. Number five, complicated personalities, borderline personality disorder. BPD is actually fascinating if you want to look further into that. But the best way I could describe it is when people are unable to cope with a traumatic situation, their personalities will take a hit. So it might not necessarily be that you are bipolar, but you may show some bipolar type of tendencies as a reaction to a traumatic event. That is very widespread, very, very widespread. I definitely encourage you to look up BPD. Um, you may have people around you that actually do display borderline personality disorders and you know, it's these are things that I feel encouraged to learn more about because I'm better able to respond to it. I never want to respond to something in an ignorant way unless I'm just trying to be funny. And I'm sure that I've said things that are um, inaccurate or will be looked at in a future time as being inaccurate. 
that is just the reality of living in a specific time. But as much as we can um, work around that and educate ourselves so that we are distributing the best information and really just living our lives to the highest level that we can, education is everything. So I always encourage people to, you know, don't just take my word for it with these things. Look into it. That's why I talk about these things so that you can look further into the topic if it's something that sticks out to you. The last one, contentment with the way things are. And that kind of piggybacks on another one that we talked about, but that essentially says, you know, I was raised this way and this is the way that it is supposed to be. This is what I've accepted as being, um, you know, a superior way of being, or this is just me, or this is just how it is. Accepting your current circumstances, um, contentment with the way things are. So those are the six signs of intergenerational trauma. I am going to continue to study this. There are so many fascinating pieces about this. And it says a lot about the way that we live now. And the crazy thing about it is when you watch stand-up comedians over the years, all of the stereotypes that we say, oh, black people are late, black people can't swim, black people don't do this, or, you know, Puerto Rican people love their whatever. All of these kind of stem, not all of them, but a lot of them stem from some type of generational trauma, generational curse. The point being is that just because something happened 500, 1,000 years ago does not mean that it is not present in some way, shape, or form or have taken a, an effect on a family or a person current day. So that was the piece that I, I want, just wanted to leave to you guys. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. I certainly encourage you to continue to educate yourself on um, generational traumas and uh, generational curses. There's so many important um, details and we're going to get to them. Uh, I'm looking for some experts in the area. So if you know anyone who has written a book, does a talk, teaches a class, um, you know, works on these types of issues, is a clinician, is a psychologist, let me know. You can email me at spicypecanpodcast at gmail. Guys, thank you so much. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to Spicy Pecan Podcast. This is a Wonderful Me Media production.